all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having guided us and without his guidance we would not have been guided. And we send peace and blessings upon those we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu and upon his family and his progeny and his wives and his companions and all those that followed them in their ways. <coughs> So continuing from where we left off, uh, the next two names, Imam Ghazali, he brings them together, and they are Al-Qadir and Al-Muqtadir. So Al-Qadir is translated as the all-powerful, and Muqtadir is the, the one who determines. So both of these are related to one another, and that's why they are brought together, and most of the ulama that have mentioned these two names mention them together. So both mean one who possesses power. They both have that uh, definition within them. However, muqtadir, which is the all-determiner, or the one who determines, is more emphatic. You could say that uh, al-qadir is the one who has power, the all-powerful, and muqtadir, you could say, is the one who manifests his power. So, <clears throat> it's mentioned that qadir does what he wills as he wills. Mentioned, that Qadir does what he wills as he wills. Uh, they go on and they mention that because this is th- these two names deal with the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ulama typically go on to mention what his power entails. Now his power encompasses everything. So, for example, they mention that the universe is a mirror to reflect the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does it do? It grants us insight into the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A glimpse. Not necessarily, not even an in-depth knowledge of the power of Allah, but a glimpse. And that's what the Qur'an is as well. The Qur'an is a glimpse into the knowledge of Allah. The entire universe is a glimpse into the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Qadr and Muqtadir is that one who has power and one who manifests his power. One who has ability and, uh, uh, and is able to bring that ability to, into existence. So if something has not happened, it doesn't mean that he cannot do it. It's simply because he has not willed it to happen yet. Right? Now, they mentioned that, the ulama mentioned that his, the invention and creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, along with his capacity for causing things to happen, are conditioned by, they're conditioned by one thing, and that is his will. So everything, all his creation, inventions, everything is governed, is conditioned by his ability to do them, right? His will. So his will has to be there. So when, if you study Aqidah, the two, two attributes that come one after another is Irada, intention to do something, and uh, uh, Qudra, the ability to do something. So Qadir also comes from this word, Qudra. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... Has said, uh, it's mentioned in the Quran, Inna Allah la kulli shay'in qadir. That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has power over everything. So we'll get into that. Now the name He mentions here, he, the word He mentions is Qadir, not Qadir. But Qadir is related. So some of the ulama, they go on and they mention that, look at what the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entails. That He gives a tiny bone, He gives a tiny piece of bone in the ear, the ability to hear. 
And he gives a piece of flesh in our mouth, our tongue, the ability to speak. Who, which of us can give like a bone? Think about that. A bone, the ability to hear, and the flesh, a piece of meat, the ability to speak. It doesn't make sense. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it so. And so on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give our limbs the ability to speak. He will, he will close our mouths and He will give our limbs the ability to speak and our limbs will testify before, uh, on behalf of us or against us on Yom Al-Qiyamah for what we have, what we have done. Now, <clears throat> there's a discussion that I want to go into which is an aqidah related discussion. It's a discussion that may also come up in your philosophy classes and we might have given some, uh, you know, spoken about them a little bit in the past. But um, we will do that at the end of these, these two names. So we'll summarize these two names. Now, uh, Muqtadir is one who gives ease and wisdom and patience. So Al-Muqtadir, meaning what does this name entail from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That he gives ease, wisdom, patience, perseverance and strength to his good servants. And on the contrary, he, gives, he increases heedlessness, ambition, pleasures and self-confidence in the tyrants. So there are those that please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we're speaking about why, is, why, is, why do they bring this up? This is because dealing with the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So sometimes we get into a discussion of or thoughts that when we're going through a difficulty or you see oppression happening, right, particularly on the political level, why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doing that? Uh, why doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stop it from happening? So what does He do? What do they mention? He gives patience and perseverance and strength to those that are His good servants. And he increases heedlessness, ambition and pleasures and self-confidence in the tyrants. So this brings about a concept for us that, um, you know, sometimes we think we see some good happening or we see comforts within ourselves or with other individuals who are completely heedless of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we start to wonder that why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving them good in this life when they are so bad, when they're such evil people? The idea is this, that they have angered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such that He just increases them. Once they have turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they have angered Him and they have, been, uh, they have been adamant on not repenting and coming back and humbling themselves towards Allah, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then He just lets them go. It's like He cuts the string and just, you know, like when a dog's on a leash and it's trying to get away, you pull it back, right? And the leash might actually cause some strain. But sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets that leash go. He cuts it and then the dog runs wild. So same thing happens with tyrants. When they don't turn back and repent for what they've done, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets them go and He increases them in the evils that they are doing. He increases them in their heedlessness and their worldly ambitions that are not within the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Worldly ambitions that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like we mentioned that meaning that ambition in and of itself isn't bad. It's what you are ambitious for. Right, so this is part of uh, the meaning of muqtadir, that this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. That what do we say? Qadir is the one who has power and muqtadir is the one who manifests that power. Right, so he allows that power to come to fruition. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes a thing to happen and he leads humanity to discover what has already been created. This is also because Allah ta'ala is qadir, so he's the one who creates also. He has the power, the ability to create things. And so... Because He is the one who creates everything, because He is the, the one who actually allows everything to happen, that means that insan, humanity, doesn't actually have the ability to create and invent or discover. We, we discover 
that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already created. That which already exists, that's what insan, that's what humanity discovers. And sometimes it's perceived that we are inventing something, uh, that we are creating something, but in reality Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the driving force behind that. Right? So we have certain, uh, techno- we've made certain technological advancements now that may not have been made 50 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And perhaps 1,000 years ago, there wasn't the means to make those inventions, to make those technological advancements. So there's a hadith that, uh, to the meaning that Rasulullah was asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if you wish, you can stay in this world forever. I will grant you life in this world for all of eternity, for, forever, until this world comes to an end. And I will make you a king amongst, uh, a king over the entire world. And I will give you black gold. Okay, or you can choose to come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can choose to die and then come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet some chose death over this worldly life because this worldly life is temporal and it's not, you know, and the, the akhirah is what is everlasting and it is superior. And so some of the ulama mentioned that they, you know, what is that black gold? Allah alam, I guess we, we probably might never know, but possibly it could be oil. The Prophet was in Arabia. Right? There's so much oil there. It could be black gold. That's how it was described to the Prophet. What would oil really have... Like, how would you understand, okay, I, I'll give you oil. Although they had oil, but what, what would be understood from that? That I'll give you oil. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted us to understand was that He will give the Prophet some uh, things that are of the highest value in this world. Okay? So, imagine what advancements have been made through the discovery of oil or through, by getting into those oil mines and, and rigs and whatnot. How, much technological, how many technological advancements have we made? How far have we progressed technologically through the discovery of that oil or having abundance of that type of oil? Had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given it to the Prophet at that time, technologically the world would have advanced much faster. Things that we have now, we might have had 500 years ago. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already created these things. He just allows us to come upon them, to stumble upon them. Some scholars have said that Qadir is the one who is capable of bringing into existence uh, and causing it to cease. So some say that Qadir is the one who is, who, ha, who is capable of bringing into existence and taking out of existence. And Muqtadir is capable of bringing reform to his creatures in a way that nobody can. So Qadir is related to existence and non-existence. And Muqtadir is related to reform, reformation. We mentioned that Qadir is derived from Qudra. Qudra means might and power and ability. Whereas Muqtadir... Manifests his power. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ مُقْتَدِرًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed He has power over everything. So, one is the ability to have power, the other is to have power over everything. Have control over everything. Right? And so مُقْتَدِرًا is mentioned there. Now, there is a, going back to the verse, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قُدِرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over everything. Um... <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that He has power over everything. So there are certain questions that might come about, particularly in philosophical discussions. You look like you know what I'm going to say. (laughs) So uh, there are certain discussions that come about which people will ask. And it's a sort of a catch-22. Because if you give one answer, they'll get you from another perspective. And if you give the other answer, they'll get you from, the, from another perspective. So 
what we have to understand that these types of questions, uh, they're all the same. They're just a variable that's changed. So part of learning aqidah and part of learning is to learn, there's something called usuls and furuat. So usul is the principles. And then there's furuat. So there's, uh, you know, all the different branches that come about after that. So for example, when making wudu, anything that's filthy that comes out of your body breaks your wudu. That's the principle. Now you can ask, if you haven't understood that principle, and obviously then, then it isn't, that's what, what's entailed is to know what is filth, right? But if you don't understand that principle, then you'll have a million questions. You know, does urinating, does going to the bathroom break your wudu? Okay, does blood break your wudu? Does vomiting break your wudu? Does cutting your nails break your wudu? Does cutting your hair break your wudu? All of these things, these are questions that people ask, right? So if you don't understand the principle, you're going to have a million questions. And if you understand the principle, it cuts down the questions because you'll then understand the answer by understanding the principle. So these philosophical discussions, some of the questions that come about, and typically we don't mention these things uh, unless you're taking a qidah class, but the opportunity is here. So one question that might be asked is, does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have the ability to create another deity like himself? And does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, can he create a rock that he cannot lift? You guys heard these questions before? Or very, and there's an endless number of variations to these questions, okay? So if you say, well, yeah, he, has, he can create a rock that he can't lift. So, okay, so he can create a rock that he can't lift, but then he can't lift it anymore. So how does he have power over everything? And if you say, well, no, he can't. Well, you said, in the law, he has power over everything. So that, now what? So the answer to that question, see, there is in Aqidah, there is what's called the wajibat, those things which are necessary upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's the mumkinat, those things which are possible, but not necessary. And there's the mustahilat, those things which are from the impossibilities. So the first time we hear it, it kind of shakes us a little bit that, oh, what do you mean impossibilities for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? So we say, no, he, he cannot create, he's transcendent above creating another deity like himself. Because if he created that deity, then it would go against him being Allah, because now there's something else that's more powerful than him. So how does this make sense with the verse of Quran? In Allah ala kulli shayin qadir, or wallahu ala kulli shayin qadir. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I know I was going to bring my markers and draw this on the board because it makes it a little bit easier, but... So we have to understand that in Arabic, uh, when there's an alif lam on a word, versus not being an, they're not having an alif lam on the word, the alif lam indicates definiteness, a definite particle, definite noun. So... Ilah, ilahun, that is a noun, okay, which means deity, God. Allah is, has the alif lam there, and that's the difference between ilahun and Allahu, okay. Making, saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that definite being. When something doesn't have the alif lam, it becomes an indefinite thing. So in this verse, in Allah ala kulli shay'in qadir, Allah ta'ala has power over every shay'. He doesn't say as shay', he says shay'. Right? Without the alif lam. So shay is, means thing. He has power over everything. This is the opposite of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Because Allah ta'ala is not a created being. And shay is a, exist, it's something that exists, but its existence is not uh, necessary. Right? Or you could say it's a created thing. But there is a discussion that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shay. So if you say it's an existent thing, then you could say Allah ta'ala is, is shay. Okay? But... You would say he's ash-shay with the alif lam there. So there's a difference, a linguistical difference here. Shay'un is, we could say that it is a created thing. 
And so we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a creating or something that, that uh, um, its, its existence is not necessary. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over every created thing. He has power over every thing that is possible to be in existence. Okay? So when it comes to the realm of existence, you have, maybe we can use some of these objects. So you have like, you have a created thing. Right? You have those things which are ex- in existence. So like all of us, we are in existence. Okay? Then you have, in the middle, you have something, you have those things which can come into existence but aren't created yet. So maybe a child that is going to be born, for example. Okay? Then you have another category. And that, are, that is those things which it's not possible for them to come into existence. Okay? Now, we have to understand, when we're speaking about all of these things with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's relative to how we understand them. Okay? Uh, and the pers- it might be different when it, it's, you're looking at it from the perspective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as far as we are concerned, there's the first two categories. Those things which are already created and those things which have the possibility to be created. As far as we are concerned, only the first category exists. The second category doesn't exist because it's not in this world yet. But as far as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's perspective, the second category also exists. He just hasn't manifested it in this world yet. Right? But it exists as far as Allah Ta'ala is concerned. The third category, it's not even there. It's not like they're, they're you know, roaming around in this pool or this uh, uh, realm uh, or dimension and Allah Ta'ala is keeping them from coming to existence. They don't exist. They are not there. They have complete, it's, com- it's in complete absence. So that rock that he could not lift, that uh, deity that would be just as powerful as him, they are in the realm of non-existence. Completely non-existent. So, how do, so this concept that, no, what we say to those questions is no. Allah Ta'ala cannot create that rock. That's from the mustahilat. Yeah. So the second category, is it just all constrained by time? Or is it constrained by another factor as well? So it could be time if Allah Ta'ala is going to bring it into existence. But there could be something, so for example, there's some people that will never have children. It's still possible for them to have children, but they might not ever have children, right? So their children, technically, I mean, it's all a matter of perspective, right? Technically, it's possible. So them having a child is from the possibility of what Allah Ta'ala can create. But He might not create them, right? So for example, Isa Islam was born from a virgin birth. So... We would think that, no, there are certain things that have to take place for a child to be born. But it was from the possibility of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power that he create a child, that, a, that Maryam salam, she gets pregnant without ever having engaged in relations, right? Um, so that thir- so what, we do, what, we, what do we say? We say, no, Allah ta'ala doesn't have the ability. That's from the mustahilat. It's from the impossibilities. Again, it doesn't sit well with us. We want to sit and say, oh, but that's not, that's bad other with Allah. But as soon as you say that, well, no, he has the, uh, the power, but he's just not going to do it. That's in, incorrect. The Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah have said that that is, that is incorrect. Uh, and there are some scholars that were within the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah that held the other opinion, but that was deviance. That was deviated. To say that, well, no, he has the ability, but he just doesn't do it. Because, you know, like there were some, there were some scholars of the past that said Allah Ta'ala can bring himself down to the size of a, to the, some minute size and put himself on the wing of a mosquito and fly around. That's incorrect. Because what do we say? Laysa kamithlihi shay. That Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, nothing is like Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala at all. So as soon as we say that, well, no, he, 
he can bring, give himself a body, but he just doesn't do it. Or he does have a body, but we don't understand how. Why is that deviated? Because when it comes to the earth and the heavens and the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's all relative, right? What are the heavens and the earth to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's the same. To us, the heavens might be different. It might be some other dimension or whatever. But to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's all the same. It's something that He has created. So if we say that, well, He has the ability to do that, but He doesn't do it, then what is stopping us from going into the belief of Christians that say, well, you're saying He exists with a body and sits on His throne in the heavens. So if He can do that, well, then He can bring Himself into this world as a man. Right? Understand? So that's where it starts leading to that concept of Christianity. And that's problematic, right? So it doesn't go against the verse of Qur'an because Allah Ta'ala said He has power over everything, every shape, not a shape, and He has power over everything that is, has the possibility of coming into existence. Those things which are not possible, they don't exist. And Allah Ta'ala is transcendent beyond it. Now, the next question is they might go to, you know, and say, well, you know, He, um, so then He's not all-powerful. We say, no, He is all-powerful and He is transcendent above these types of creations. These creations, these things that you're talking about are, uh, you know, is ridiculous. So like if you look up the word ridiculous, you'll understand a little bit better what that means. Like it actually means something that's absurd. You know, it's like not possible. Okay, so uh, we have no problem in saying, no, those things are not a possibility. So Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala has power over everything that it is possible for Him to bring into existence. That's what that verse entails. Okay, now everything else just becomes a variable. Any other questions they might ask you becomes a variable uh, of that. So this leads into another discussion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, Yadullahi fawqa aidihim, that the hand of Allah is over every is over was over their hand. So this was the Bayatul Ridwan, wherein the Sahaba when they went for their Umrah, uh, they were prevented from going into Makkah Mukarramah in the sixth year of Hijri. And uh, the Quraysh stopped them from coming in. And so the Prophet ﷺ went and he took a bay'ah from them under the tree. Right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse, Yadullahi fawqa aidihim, That the hand of Allah was over their hands. Why? Because they put their hands forward to give their bay'ah to the Prophet their pledge to the Prophet ﷺ, You know, on obedience and, and this and that. But, so this verse seems to say, the hand of Allah is over their hand. What, we, what, what it means is that the hand of power, the control, the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It could mean that the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was over them. Meaning by them giving their bay'ah to the Prophet, the pleasure of Allah ta'ala was with them. It doesn't mean that Allah ta'ala has a hand. If you say, it mean, well see Allah ta'ala says, Yadullah. So we, don't even, we shouldn't even translate it as the hand of Allah. Leave it as Yadullah. Right? But because people went into deviated beliefs, an interpretation had to be made. Whereas like Imam Abu Hanifa rahimullah, he was from the Mutaqaddimin, those that came first, the scholars that came first. He said, you don't even translate this. Right? Later scholars started translating this as, or sorry, not translating it, but interpreting it as the pleasure or the power of Allah. Because people went to deviated beliefs, they started saying, they started taking it literally, that Allah Ta'ala says he has a hand. If you take it literally, then take it the whole way. They gave bayah, then Allah Ta'ala's hand came down on the Prophet as well. But they won't say that. Right? We have to be careful of this, because this is... Uh, people have this belief today as well. There's another verse, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ يَدُ اللَّهِ مَغْلُولًا That uh, the, the Jews, they said, the hand of Allah is constrained. It's restricted. 
uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes and says, وَغُلَّتْ أَيْدِهِمْ وَلُعِنُوا بِمَا قَالُوا بَلْ يَدَاهُ مَبْسُوطَتَانِ يُنْفِقُوا كَيْفَ يَشَاءُ So they said, this happened in the time of the Prophet some, some of the Jews, their uh, wealth became constrained. It, it diminished a little bit. So they said, well, the hand of Allah is restrained. It's being held back. It's being held back. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, no, it's not Allah Ta'ala's hand that's being held back. It's your hands that are being held back. Right? Your hands are changed. And they were cursed by Allah because of what they used to say. Then Allah says, Bal yadahu But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His hands, they are spread out. Yunfiqu yasha, He spends however He wishes. So this tells us that Yad doesn't mean, it doesn't mean literally the hand of Allah. What were the Jews talking about? Their wealth diminished. So they said, Allah Ta'ala is not giving us. Just like, you know, you give, you extend your hand when you're giving money to somebody, you hold it back when you're not giving. In that sense, Allah Ta'ala revealed this verse, saying that Allah Ta'ala's hands are spread out. He gives however, He spends however He wishes. Does Allah Ta'ala actually spend like He buys things? No, He doesn't, right? But He gives abundance of wealth or restricts wealth however He wishes. So this is a verse that helps us understand that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, uh, his, the Yad of Allah is not actually literally the hand of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. That goes into anthropomorphism. Right, which is the another deviant group which was around during the Mu'tazila, uh, was the Mutajassima, from jism, which means to give a uh, uh, jism means body. So again, these are some. Does everybody understand that? That was like, right? Okay. So another concept that comes from this is taqdir, right? Fate. So <clears throat> uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wills things to happen in their correct time. Nothing is advanced you know, faster than it should be, and nothing is, this kind of leads into the next two names, nothing is postponed later than it should be, but it comes at precisely the opportune time, the right moment. So the taqdeer of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like what is, what is our fate? We say, well, our fate is written for us. No, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done, the Prophet said in a hadith, to the meaning that he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, command, he created the pen, then he commanded it to write. The pen asked, what should I write? He said, write whatever will take place until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So in uh, Fiqh al-Akbar, which is uh, a book of theology attributed to Imam Hanifa, rahimullah, he says that Allah Ta'ala did not write, in, he did not command the pen to say, Zayd will believe and Amr will disbelieve, for example. Because that would have been a command of Allah and it would have taken away the person's will, his ability to believe or disbelieve. And that would have condemned the individual from the start to disbelieve. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, write that Zayd will believe, and that Amr will disbelieve as a result of their own choice. Not that Zayd is a believer and Amr is a disbeliever. That would have been the command. But say that this is what will happen because this is what they will end up choosing. So not that Allah Ta'ala enforces it upon somebody, but that they, because of their choices, that is what ends up happening. Right? So when we get into discussions of taqdeer, of fate and whatnot, we have to approach it with the understanding that we can never truly understand it. We have, to, we have to, how do you best understand it? To know that we can't understand it. Uh, and it's been mentioned that those who, um, those who are, those who are of higher intelligence and of a, and are superior in their rank with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are those that when it comes to these mutashabihat, these ambiguous uh, attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whatnot, they are content on it being from the knowledge of Allah that they don't have and then they go on, they move on from it. And those that are of a lower category delve into it. They try and delve into it. And there's no, you're never going to reach an end point. You're never going to fully grasp 
the, the, the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the taqdeer of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's impossible. And so the second category of pe- or the category of people that uh, let it go and move on to other things, those are the ones who have higher knowledge. So they have higher knowledge. It makes it harder for them because what, what did the Prophet say? There's two things that a person will never be satisfied with in this world, wealth and knowledge. So a person who has more knowledge should have more of a drive to understand these things. But they've understood that they can't understand it, so they move on. It's harder for them to move on to other aspects of the deen, but they do so. They force themselves to do so. So this is another reason as to why they have, why they have um, a, a higher rank with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's been mentioned also that the, those, those that delve into the mutashabihat, the attrib- the, these uh, ambiguous attributes and ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these people are misguided. Right, you had a question? Um, what are other things in that category besides two definitions? That are ambiguous? That, yeah, the things that we shouldn't be looking too far into. So there's certain verses in the Quran as well, right? So for example, uh, and certain hadith as well. So when speaking about the attributes of Allah. So, so for example, like the verse that we mentioned, the Yadullah, right? The Yad of Allah, the Waj of Allah, which people will translate to face. Um, but it has a million other transla- translations. Istiwa. So for example, Imam Malik rahimullah, was asked about the Istiwa. Istiwa ala al-Arsh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, that he makes Istiwa of the Arsh, the Istiwa of the throne. So people translate this to say, oh, Allah ta'ala sits on it. But Istiwa has like 20 or 25 or something different meanings. Right? It can mean to go straight. It can mean to settle upon. It can mean to take control of. So many different things. So Imam Malik was asked about Istiwa al-Arsh. He said to believe in it is necessary because the verse of Quran... Um, and to ask about it, it, to deny it is kufr, and to ask about it uh, and delve, delve into it is bidah, is an innovation, right? So there are certain concepts regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it's better we don't delve into them because of where it could lead, right? Because there's no entry, because we can't fully understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So things r- relating to certain attributes of His, um, even the, you know, the, the being of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does it entail? If you guys remember one of the first classes we mentioned that uh, also in Aqidah what, what is mentioned that we understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not by understanding Him, not by knowing what He is, but knowing what He is not. Understanding what He is not because we cannot fully comprehend and understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so now Imam Ghazali rahimullah he goes on to Al-Muqaddim and Al-Mu'akhir. So Al-Muqaddim is the one who promotes or the one who advances and Mu'akhir is the one who postpones. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, has said, وَرَفَعَ بَعْضَكُمْ فَوْقَ بَعْضٍ دَرَجَاتٍ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا آتَاكُمْ That He raises some of you over others in rank so that He may test you in what He has given you. So Allah ta'ala, Muqaddim means the one who advances. He promotes certain individuals. Whoever He brings close, He promotes. He advances them above others in, in rank. And whoever He pushes away, He banishes. Whoever he pushes away, he banishes them. And this is mu'akhir. So, promoting in the sense of giving precedence to an individual. So you say that when something is given precedence, then inevitably there is something behind it. When something is given precedence over something, then there's something that it's related to. There's some comparison that's being made. There's something connected to it. So inevitably, when you have something that is promoted and something that is behind it, you have another thing that is intended. That is the goal. Right? So the goal is in relation to what is promoted. Somebody is promoted because of the goal that they have. Right? So when they have a goal, that means there is something that is intended. So the one that is intended is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and the one that is promoted is somebody who is brought close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when he advances one, now this can be in a dunyawi sense, this can be in a dini sense. So he advances certain people that we might not even realize he's advanced them. He brings them closer to him, he loves them. This is qurba, this is the muqarrabin, those that have been brought close. And then there's the, the worldly sense that he advances them uh, materialistically, materially, right? So he might give them power, he might give them kingship. And that doesn't mean that they've pleased Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But why does he have this, like material advancement? He says, لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا آتَاكُمْ So that he may test you in what he has given you. So some people, he gives us a lot of wealth. He gives us a lot of power. He wants to test us in relation to that power and that wealth. Yeah. So not in the worldly sense, but in the dini sense, um, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises someone, it's because of their own will and their own want to be raised, right? Or is it... In the dini sense? Right, so uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have the desire to do it, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens the path for them also then, right? And those, there are those that sometimes, they don't really have the desire to do it, but they're not necessarily turning away from Allah, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so He advances them too, He creates a way for them, and then they are guided. There's those that He, he only lets go astray, those people who turn away, who turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Um, <clears throat> so we mentioned like He gives, yeah. How does that account for people who do try, but it's just not working for them? <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that. Okay, so, um, so like we said, he promotes certain people materially, certain people uh, spiritually, and we don't necessarily know who the spiritual are, uh, who have been promoted. And so the scholars mentioned that, you know, if you look at kings, for example, there's many kings, there's many rulers, that when they die, their death is celebrated. Not in a sense of like, um, they were such a great person, but joy. People are happy at the death of an individual, <laughs> right? And there are certain individuals that are very poor. They have nothing materially, but the whole world mourns them, right? Look at, like, look at Muhammad Ali, rahimullah. I don't know how much wealth he had, right? But he wasn't an athlete in, like, at this time where he was making millions and millions and millions. But literally the entire world mourned him. I mean, it's crazy. You had, you know, rulers from all over the world coming for his ceremony, Right? And there's people who, are, who, are, um, who would have less than him and are also mourned, right? I mean, there's people that some of you may not have ever even, some of us may not have heard about, right? There was one, one scholar uh, in India. He passed away and there was like 3 million people at his janazah or something like that. I mean, that's crazy, <laughs> you know? The one in Afghanistan who made the hospital... Yeah, right. There was some another. Yeah, there's another individual, right? So there's plenty of uh, uh, people like that. So then they mentioned that, however, to to say to have this idea that well, Allah Taala is the one who advances, who gives, and who takes away. So I don't need to do anything. This kind of goes back to the discussion we had with uh, with Allah, with risk, right? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives wealth and gives nourishment and sustains and whatnot. Um, People who say, well, Allah Ta'ala is the one that gives, so I don't need to do anything. Ulama mentioned that know that laziness results in poverty and constriction and pain. So you can't sit back and say, well, Allah Ta'ala is the one that gives, so if He's going to give me, I'm going to get what's written for me and sit back and not do anything because Allah Ta'ala has made a sabab in this world. This is Darul Asbab, this is a world of means. And if you don't take the means, chances are you're not going to get anything, right? Sometimes you don't make effort, but it comes to you. But you might not be making effort for a specific thing, you might be making effort in other ways, you know? Some people I know, like, they try to live a very 
in a pious life, they try to, uh, you know, earn halal income, halal rizq and whatnot, never trying to engage in interest. So they d literally delayed in, in buying a house because they didn't want to engage in interest. Then what happened? Someone in their family, like, made a whole lot of money, didn't even die, but said, you know what, let me give you this money, a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Go buy a house. Like, that happens too, you know, now with everybody. And so they mention also that um, there is uh, our responsibility. So there's, first, know that laziness results in poverty, okay, typically. Um, and working for fame, if we do something in order to have fame, we might get a lot of money. But what's going to happen? Our intention is not pure. Our intention is not right. So it will entail us, when we get that money, typically what will happen? We'll end up spending the money in ways that are dis, uh, uh, displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that also leads to poverty. How many uh, celebrities do we know? I mean, like you see this in athletes, right? They make so much money that, I mean, they make millions. If you look, say the average salary is $50,000 a year and a person earns this from the, for 40 years before they retire, they're going to gross $2 million. Some of these people make like 20, 30 million in one year. And literally, they go bankrupt the next year. That's like, it seems impossible. How do you, you've made like <laughs> 10, 15, 20 times the amount a person will make in their entire lifetime you made in a year, yet you went bankrupt the next year. Right? So this also, this also happens. Our responsibility is to make an effort to obtain good in a lawful manner. That's our responsibility. We have to try and obtain. The risk will come to us. Allah Ta'ala will give us regardless. Our responsibility is how do we want that risk to come to us. What he gives us, do we want to attain it in a haram way? Do we want to attain it in a halal way? Now there's those who try to obtain it in a lawful manner, but they still don't become rich, right? And so it's mentioned that perhaps in this advancement, this type of advancement, uh, or the lack of advancement, there might actually be more good for the individual, right? There might be more good for the person if they didn't get that advancement. Or perhaps there will be more difficulty when they gain that advancement. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to truly cherish and value the thing that they gained. Right? And, and the thing that you struggle for, you are more cautious, you, you guard it more, you cherish it more, you value it more when it is attained. Right now, yeah. So risk does mean wealth or does it mean other things? No, risk is, uh, it can mean sustenance, like nourishment. Right? Depending on the context, in a more general sense, in a more general sense, but but it's like that's contextual, yeah. Right now, um, a person might try to come closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, but they have difficulty in doing so, right? And spiritually, we don't know truly what station we have with Allah. Actually, last weekend I met somebody. He's like. Yeah, I'm a wali. Or he didn't say he's a wali, sorry. But he said like, he's, got, he's like, I have all these karamat and I, have, I can tell who's a wali and I know exactly where your position is with Allah. And I wanted to ask him like, so what's my position? It was one of the more like bizarre conversations I've ever had in my life. Um, but we don't, we don't know our position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we have comforts and we think that that is, means that's because we have pleased Allah. We should be thankful when we have comforts. Uh, or we see other people having comforts, and so we think that they've pleased Allah. 
but that could just be a deception because sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives people in this life because he's not going to give them in the next life. And sometimes we see people going through difficulty and we think that they've displeased Allah. But sometimes he's not giving them in this life because he's going to give them in the next life. So there's really no like rule of thumb that we can say like, oh, this person has pleased Allah, this person has displeased Allah. The only thing we can say, the only scope, the lens we can use is how much taqwa does a person have? Are they obedient to Allah? Right? That's why if a calamity comes upon us, we say, well, if this calamity is on us, then uh, is it a test or is it a is it punishment? It's punishment if we are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If it's causing us to move away from Allah. But if it is causing us to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we still continue to obey Him, even though it might be a struggle. Then it's just a test and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to raise us. Yeah. <coughs> you're, you're saying like, um, it sounded like you were saying basically if people try to like get closer to Islam, then like God will make that easy for them. And if they don't really try, they don't really care, then that'll be made harder for them. So then my question was more like, what about the people who do try, but it's still hard for them, like in a religious sense, not like in a worldly sense of like, Right, so we don't, uh, like I said, we don't necessarily, we don't know exactly our station with Allah, right? We might not feel that we have that closeness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but He knows, He takes us, because when it comes to our perspective, so for example, you have Sayyidina Umar radiallahu right? He was, or you can, not even just Him, you can take anybody, right? There was a time, certain companions or certain individuals, they might not believe, but at a particular time, and they might be engaging in all types of sin and all types of, like, vile things, but they are still beloved to Allah. Why? Because their end will be that they believe and worship and obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in, in, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's perspective, He already knows it's going to happen and it's really all happening at the same time. So He loves them because He knows what the end result is going to be and He loves them. But those, um, and so uh, uh, conversely, those that will displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that will anger Allah ta'ala at the end of their life, right? We don't know, that might be us and Allah ta'ala protect us. But if we are engaging in things that are typically that are beloved to Allah, that are pleasing to Allah now, He might still be angry with us because He knows what our end result is going to be, right? Uh, so if we look at the first perspective, the person who might be engaging in sin and disobedience, they still have that closeness to Allah because eventually they will start progressing towards Him, right? So spiritually, if we try, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it happen whether we perceive it or not, you know, whether we perceive it or not. So it's not necessarily we try, you know, I mean, we're kind of limited in our mindset, so we, we look at it, typically we look at things in a linear fashion, and so we, we think that, oh, this person, or I'm trying and I'm not getting any closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, um, it's, it's mentioned also that, um, <coughs> that, uh, what was it? Uh, so I really just slipped my mind. Inshallah, I'll come back at the end, but it's, it's related to that point. Anyway, what, yeah. Related questions. So, if we try and we think things are working out, doesn't that make us self-righteous? And doesn't that make us in a bad category because of self-righteousness? No, that's not necessarily self-righteousness. Um, we should be thankful. <coughs> we just show thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and show humility. Recognize that, oh, things are working out for me. Con continue obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And attribute it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then it's not self-righteousness, right? Don't think that I've done it on my own accord. Even if you put in a lot of effort, remind yourself that Allah ta'ala allowed me to, to put in that effort and then He gave me in the end as well. Sometimes we put in effort but we don't get it, right? 
So we should be thankful that He allowed us to put in the effort. Now when it comes to the spiritual, uh, spirituality, when we put in the effort, that is rewarding, whether the end result is there or not. So when we go and give da'wah to people, we, give, we call them to Islam, the end result is not what Allah is looking at. He's not looking at how many people did we guide. He's looking at the effort we put in. Right? And that's why there were, there were prophets that, like Nuh right? for how many years, almost a thousand years, he put in effort and he had like 80 followers. Right? So the end result is not what is being looked at, but the effort that is put in. And self-righteousness is just removed by, by attributing the good to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so, it's mentioned that if a believer is left behind, right, if a, yeah, there, it's right in my notes. If a believer is left behind in spite of their efforts, right, it could be that there's some wrong that we did. It could be that there's some deficiency or hypocrisy in our intention. So we're, we're trying to come closer to Allah. So for example, we have a hard time waking up for Fajr. Why can't I wake up for Fajr? There's, we could be doing something wrong that's literally a spiritual block. And it prevents us because we're actually doing something that's holding us back. That might not be related to, to, to waking up for Fajr directly, but indirectly. Okay? Um, so there might be something there that's stopping us. Or... The advancement could necessitate, as we mentioned, uh, advancement could necessitate more difficulty and pain. Perhaps, so there's two, two aspects to it. When we try to come closer to Allah, but we're not able to. One is that there's something we have to make muhasaba. We have to look at ourselves um, and take ourselves to account. That what is it that I could be doing that's preventing me from coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was one individual I knew who said that, you know, they were having... Um, that they were they were sort of involved in a type of relationship, like a you know they had a girlfriend and whatnot, and they were trying to memorize Quran at the same time. Okay, now this is un- we have to understand this concept. Sometimes people say that what's the point in doing good if you're doing all this bad? Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't stop the good that we're doing because we're doing something bad. We should try to stop the bad, and if we can't stop the bad, continue doing the good. Okay, because you're not going to be perfect before you become perfect. And that's sort of what people say, like, oh, what's the point of doing this when you're doing so many other bad things? Right? <clears throat> but you do what you can when you can. So they said one day, once they made the, had the resolve that, you know what, I'm going to stop like this whole relationship thing, there was literally like, they memorized a certain, up to a certain point of the Quran, like a particular surah. And the individual said that he, he couldn't get any further along until he made that resolve to stop. Once he made that resolve and made his tawbah, uh, re- memorizing became easy for him again. So it's actually a practical thing. Our sins actually do become a block for us. So that could be one aspect. Another aspect could be, well, what if we're not really doing anything that displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? First, we should ask Allah ta'ala, Ya Allah, if there is something that I'm doing, make it manifest to me. Allow me to realize it and recognize it so that I can stop it. And then give me the strength to stop it. But secondly, sometimes we fall into a sin. And as a result of that sin, we make tawbah and become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because of that tawbah. So there might be an individual who fornicated, for example, and as a result of that fornication, they make so much tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continuously. They did it once and then for the rest of their life, they cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that wrong that they did. That person has now engaged in so much good as a result of that one bad thing that he repented from, that it allowed him, first he tried to come close, but then he actually did something to go further away, then followed it up by coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then they raise in their maqam. They're ranked to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So it could be that Allah ta'ala wants to bring about a greater good after 
after this uh, stopping us from this advancement to him, or it could be that there is some bad that we're already doing that's stopping this advancement to him. Right now, we'll finish off in a few minutes here, inshallah. <coughs> it's mentioned that these, are, these stations are relative stations, right? So, um, these are, right, these are relative stations. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, وَمَن يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَحَسُنَ أُولَٰئِكَ رَفِيقًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that whoever obeys Allah ta'ala and obeys the Messenger of Allah, uh, then they are with those who Allah ta'ala has favored them from amongst the Prophets, the Siddiqeen, the Shuhada, and the Salihin. So this is basically the, the maqam of, of individuals. The closest, because we said, what are the names of Allah? Al-Muqaddim and Al-Mu'akhir. So the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the Prophets. Right? After them are the Siddiqeen. Siddiqeen, many ulama don't translate Siddiqeen. Siddiqeen means those, you could translate it as truthful ones, but that doesn't give you the holistic picture of it. But it's a meaning that those individuals, that particularly those companions of any prophet, who outshined everyone else in their uh, ibadah and their nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why the Anbiya, the Prophet, and so this verse mentions that Allah ta'ala mentions them in order. The Prophets, then the Siddiqeen, and then the Shuhada. Shuhada even you don't necessarily translate as martyrs, but those who they give their life for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but not as martyrs necessarily, not only as martyrs, because martyrdom entails that you died in this world. Right? Whereas you can sacrifice your life and not actually die. Right? Uh, and then the Salihin, and then those that do righteous deeds. Right? So <clears throat> that's generally the rank of people. Now, it's been mentioned um, sort of as an ending advice that you should not feel secure in your degree of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you are obeying Allah ta'ala, don't feel secure in your degree of obedience. Don't think like, I'm good, I don't need to do any more. And that I'm never going to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But also don't feel despondent after committing a sin. Right? We have to have this balance. Because if we become despondent, that's going to result in us not, do, not obeying Allah ta'ala. We're going to say, oh, you know, I'm already doing all this bad, I'm such a bad person, I might as well enjoy it now. And if we become uh, secure in our degree of obedience to Allah, then that will lead us to heedlessness, and the heedlessness will lead us to disobedience. Right, so Allah Taala is muqaddim that He brings people forward in qurba, in closeness to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So we mentioned these are relative stations. The good servant knows that qurba is what's important, not somebody. So Allah Taala promotes certain people that you do a good. You know, some people have a whole lot of knowledge, yet they're not very known amongst people. Some people don't have very much knowledge, right? They're not very scholarly in the academic scholarly sense. Yet Allah Taala uses them for you know, a lot of khidmah of deen, right? And there's individuals, there's individuals that we know around, like, like everybody here definitely, I can guarantee everybody knows certain individuals. They're not scholars, but Allah Ta'ala is taking a lot of work of deen from them. Everyone's watching their videos, everyone's inviting them, everyone's, Allah Ta'ala is taking it, work, accepting them for the khidmah of deen, even though they might not be scholars. And there's certain scholars that nobody knows. You've never even heard of them. They might even be in your own communities or whatever, right? So, the promotion, that, so that's Allah Ta'ala bringing, advancing someone and not advancing another, right? Now, it might be the person that doesn't have the fame is closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, but 
He says the good servant is the one that recognizes that qurba, nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the priority. And qurba is attained through ibadah and ubudiyah. Ibadah, which is the worship of Allah, and ubudiyah, which is servanthood. Submitting to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, demands. Right? That's how qurba is attained. Sometimes Allah ta'ala advances some and He doesn't advance others as far as their fame and how much khidmah of deen He accepts from them. But that's to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Even that ulama mentioned is, is related to your actions and what you've, you know, uh, what you've attained and whatnot. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mu'akhir. So mu'akhir is one that He pushes them away or He postpones them. So Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهَ غَافِلًا عَمَّا يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ إِنَّمَا يُؤَخِّرُهُمْ لِيَوْمٍ تَشْخَصُوا فِيهِ الْأَبْصَارِ That do not think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is heedless of what the zalimun, the wrongdoers do. Indeed, He only postpones them, He only delays, He only grants them respite until a day when their eyes will look up in terror and in fright. So they are the tyrants and they are the disobedient ones to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He grants them respite until the day of judgment. And as we mentioned before, Qadir and Muqtadir, Allah ta'ala, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases somebody in their, once they've displeased Allah, then he, he'll, dis, he'll, he'll increase them in their heedlessness. And it's not that, oh, he's not taking account, so they're getting away, but it's that he's going to take, he's, gonna, he's giving them respite now, and he's going to take them uh, to account on the day of judgment, which so like Iblis, right? Perfect example. He's chilling right now, but like everything he's doing, Allah Ta'ala, he made dua to Allah after he, after he angered Allah. They grant me respite. And Allah Ta'ala said, okay, you have your respite till Yom Al-Qiyamah. But Iblis will actually be punished in the fire. He is from the jinn, right? So the jinn and mankind will have Jannah or Jahannam. So Iblis will also have Jahannam. And it's mentioned that what is our share that we can take from this? The share from this is the servant who becomes instrumental in postponing punishment uh, of others who revolt against the Sharia. So there might be a land, for example, or a people who engage in so much disobedience, but they are not punished because there are those individuals who strive in goodness amongst them. So, right, there might be a group of people that are doing things which would incur the wrath and punishment of Allah. But amongst those people, people who live in that town maybe, right, might be doing something, might be obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he grants that entire town respite because of that one individual. So this is our share from it, that we have to do as much good as we can in order to protect ourselves and everybody else from punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And yeah, you know, since you mentioned like self-righteousness, we shouldn't think like, oh, I'm the one that's doing it. I'm the one that's holding all this back. We don't know. Somebody else could be doing it. But we, this is sort of one of the, the effects that when we engage in obedience to Allah ta'ala and please Him, then He grants an entire area, an entire people respite because of the goodness. So don't think that your efforts are too small. Whatever good you're doing, right? Some of the ulama, they mentioned to us, you know, uh, some of those gatherings that you have that nobody knows about, you know, some, you know, dhikr gatherings and these types of things, nobody might know about them. But continue doing them because this brings rahmah and mercy and, and the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into your, into your area, into your community, even though nobody might know about them, right? And so another share is to place everything in its appropriate place, to prioritize, muqaddim and muakhir to put everything in its appropriate place, right? Know how we have to, you know, even like when it comes to knowledge, we strive after knowing a whole lot of information, but like we go after all these things that are not, um, you know, n not necessarily, shouldn't be a priority, right? So for example, people want to delve into uh, understanding taqdeer, right? Fate and destiny, 
but you ask them, do you know how to recite Qur'an with its proper makharij and with its tajweed? No. Do you know what validates and invalidates your salah? No. But they want to engage in all these like intricate discussions, you know? So we have to prioritize our knowledge and our advancement to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is important, right? There's certain things that take precedence. Um, and there's certain things that can be delayed, right? As far as what we have to know, what we have to do. So this is some of the share that we can take from it, from this names, Al-Muqaddim and Al-Mu'akhir. Imam Ghazali actually, um, he mentions that, from what we have mentioned concerning it, you should know how to complete. He says, man's share in these attributes of actions is obvious. So we will not occupy ourselves with reiterating it for, uh, for every name, for fear of prolixity. And besides, from what we have mentioned concerning it, you should know how to complete it. So take control over it. Try to take control over your nafs. And um, then you, once you do that, then you come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You advance towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any questions? First, any questions relating to this? Then we can take other questions. Yeah. To gain knowledge, to attain knowledge. So you have to find out the avenues that are around you, right? There's local avenues in, in attaining more knowledge, right? So like, for example, we have Mihrab Foundation, we have our weekend program, which is formal study, right? Um, there's, if, and there's a lot of states, entire states that don't have any scholars to teach them. Um, I mean, we had, you know, there was, when I was in, when I was in college, then we had like, there was like a couple of scholars here. Right, and they weren't necessarily, they were tied up with so many other things. So, one of our friends actually went to Yemen for 45 days and he, engaged, he took part in the deen intensive. And he came back and then he taught us aqidah. That was my first lesson of aqidah, was like one of my friends, you know? That's what we had, right? Then, over the next few years, like people went and they studied and they came back. So, there's avenues, but there are certain states, entire states, that don't have a single scholar. But we're in the age of the internet. You can still engage in formal studies. Like if you go on Seekers, Seekers Guidance. You guys heard of Seekers Guidance? Seekers Hub, Seekers Hub Guidance Media, whatever. Seekers Hub is, I think, the location. Seekers, right? Seekers Hub, Sheikh Faraj Abani. They have all their classes for free that they offer. Right? What's better is that person-to-person -person interaction, face-to-face -face interaction. But if you don't have, if you're not able to do that, then you all at least have, like, in the, it's so easy for us to attain a little bit of that knowledge, right? So there's a lot that can be done. But we have to seek, seek people out who can teach us and then um, and be steadfast in it. You know, one of the issues, you know, one of the, one of the local ulama, he even mentioned uh, when we came back, he said, you know, people have a lot of ideas of things they want to do. You know, Sheikh, have this class, have that class, and all these things. But they, after a few weeks, they fizzle out. They just die away. We have to have himma to go through it. Just keep that steadfastness. That's why doing a little bit at a time is beneficial, you know, because we're busy, so we have to seek the avenues that we can. I mean, it's, it's available to us. We just have to make the sacrifice and do it, you know. We were discussing uh, over the weekend, some people, particularly some of the women that were saying, you know, it's so hard, like you have one, two, three kids, and it gets so difficult. How do we, you know, you don't have time for yourself anymore. You don't have time to sit there and make the good and all that stuff. 
one of the mashaykh when I was in Zambia, they mentioned to us, they said, this advancement to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this purification of the heart, this tazkiyah and this nearness to Allah, it only begins after you get married. Because before you're married, it's easy. There's no responsibilities, there's no restraints. You do what you want when you want. When you get married, and this guy had, he, this sheikh had two kids of his own. And he said, you know, when you're single, you get married, and then you think, oh man, I just don't have time, I'm married. You think you have it figured out, and then you have a kid. And then you're like, oh, I have, you know, it's so hard, so difficult now, you know, I have a kid. Once you figure that out, you have another kid. He goes, so the excuses will always come, but you have to just sacrifice. That usually means sacrificing your sleep, <laughs> right? That usually, usually means sacrificing your sleep. But we have so many other things. I mean, how much time do we spend on like social media and this, that, the other thing? We can cut a few minutes out here and there, you know? Right, because then you just you you don't complete anything, right? You just so the 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 most important thing is um, aqidah. That's the most important aspect of the science of Islam is aqidah theology, because we have to know we have to know our worship and make our worship firm, conviction, have conviction with the belief of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Second is uh, our fiqh of wudu, salah, fasting, zakat. Um, and Hajj comes into play if you're going for Hajj, you know. But typically, like you go with a group leader now, you just follow what they're doing, right? Um, but those actions, those aspects of our life that apply to us. So if we're gonna have a business, then know the fiqh of business so that we don't do something wrong, right? But um, uh, right, also tajweed, so learning how to recite the Quran properly, right? That's an obligation on us. And you know, some of us we learn late. So like myself, for example, I learned tajweed very late. So my makharij, which is the place of origination in the letters, it's not refined. And it's just not going to be because you learn it too late. But it can become good enough for the recitation. If it's really horrid, like your salah will break even at times, depending on what you're reciting and how you recite it, right? Um, but the Qur'an has a haq over us that we have to recite it properly. And like, how about learning Arabic to understand actually the Qur'an? So... It's, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's actually a very beautiful, I think it's a Mauritanian poem, um, and I forget the exact words of it, but it says that, it says the same thing, so aqidah is the most important, then fiqh, and tazkiyah, purification of the heart, and Arabic is the last obligation, but it's the most important in progressing your knowledge. <laughs> so Arabic should not be a precedence, although it's good, those other things need to be learned first. Um, but Arabic is the key to opening the, the door of knowledge because there's only so much that's translated and you don't get the whole picture in the translation. You know? Yeah. Okay, one last comment. Like two sessions ago, I kind of said like the, uh, the baby in the womb, uh, 40 days, it's actually 120 mm. days. It's 120, yeah. Yeah, I messed up, sorry guys. Yeah. It's 120. I actually checked that up afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's actually a hadith about it. The Prophet said that the first 40 days is, uh, or, yeah, it's, it's 120. The first 40 days is like, I forgot the stages, but like, it's after 120 days, so it's almost four months that the soul enters the body. So we talk about how calamities, they can be punishments if they bring us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they can be 
they, in a way, blessing if they bring us much closer to a Muslim. Right. They say, for example, um, initially a calamity push you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But say maybe it takes a couple days but it brings you back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is that in its is that a, would that be a punishment or would that be something I, I kind of in, it's kind of an in between thing. I'm not sure what you think about that. So like those two days that you're like not doing what you're supposed to be doing? Yeah, something like that. Or like if just like you know like um, Yeah, so yeah. you're you're still like accountable for that unless you repent to Allah, right? Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah, even that is a sign for us, right? So, like, there's a discussion in Aqidah about does your Iman increase or decrease, right? And you might find contradictory answers to it, but in, if you study the whole thing, you realize they're not contradictions. It's just which type of people the scholars were speaking to, were addressing, in what land they were addressing, right? So, Imam Hanifa, for example, said that, you know, Iman doesn't uh, increase and decrease, um, where uh, uh, so the yeah so the school the Maturidi school Abu Mansur al Maturidi they said no the the iman doesn't increase and decrease the Ashari school said it does seems contradictory but the reason is because the Maturidis were dealing with people who were like um, you know saying that like if you sin then it's kufr right so they uh, 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 sorry sorry the discussion about uh, yeah your actions right so they said no your actions will uh, your actions are not kufr. Your belief is what's kufr. So it's said that your actions don't have an uh, don't have a uh, effect on your iman. They didn't mean that it doesn't affect your iman in the sense like oh because it does. I mean you can literally experience it. You engage in sin, all of a sudden you you don't feel like praying as much, right? And that's another sign of this qurba to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that when He accepts your tawbah, when He accepts your repentance, He um, makes it easier for you to engage in your prayer and stuff, and makes you desirous to engage in more prayer. Right, so um, it's a sign for us that we engaged in sin, and now we spent a few days in this disobedience, you know. But now you have this wake up, this reminder, and this realization, and so then you start trying to make up for that, right? So it could be a, a stay, a, a, some time of disobedience and removal from the pleasure of Allah, and then follow it up with goodness, right? So, like, we should always, every, every sin that we commit, we should follow it up with something good because that erases the bad. But similarly, doing good and following it up with bad also erases the bad. You know, so we should always, every bad, we should follow it up with goodness and then repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Anything else? اللهم انت السلام انك السلام تبارك في هذا الجلال والاكرام سمعنا وطعنا وفرانك ربنا وليك المصير اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وطهر قلوبنا وحسن فروجنا Ya Allah, forgive us of our sins, our major sins and our minor sins. Ya Allah, purify our hearts, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, do not allow our hearts to go astray after you have guided us. Ya Allah, guide us on the straight path. Guide us and guide our families and guide our children, Ya Allah. Do not let any of us go astray, Ya Allah, and continuously increase us in our nearness to you, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, allow us to life, uh, live a life that is pleasing to you. Grant us a death that is pleasing to you and raise us on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with those that have pleased you. Ya Allah, make us small in our our own eyes, but make us... Make us prominent and make us uh, make us loved by others in the eyes of others, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, do not let us lose humility, Ya Allah. Do not allow us to become arrogant, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, remove all arrogance from us, Ya Allah. Allow us to reflect the sunnah and the beauty of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
in, in its due right, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, guide us and allow us to be a source of guidance for others, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, accept us for the khidmah of this deen, Ya Allah, accept us, Ya Allah, and accept our children. Ya Allah, do not allow any of us to go astray, Ya Allah, all those that have passed before us. Forgive them their sins, Ya Allah, and, and grant them felicity in their graves, Ya Allah, and all the suffering that is happening around the world. Remove that suffering from everyone, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, protect us and grant us steadfastness and grant us patience in the times of difficulty, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, do not test us in our iman, Ya Allah. If you test us, do not allow us, do not allow us to lose our iman, Ya Allah. And continuously raise us in our maqam with you and our status with you. Ya Allah, grant us the best of this world and the best of the akhirah, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, grant us a place under your perfect and supreme shade on the Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Let us drink from the hands of Rasulullah Sallallahu and the Hud Al-Gawthar which you have given him. Ya Allah, allow us to pass the Sirat into Jannah and grant us the highest stages of Jannah without any without any accountability. Ya Allah, grant us all the good that Rasulullah asked you for and we seek refuge in you from all the evils that Rasulullah sought refuge in you from. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa sallim. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yusifun wa salamun al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen.